Erase Book by Martin Jones. Janet McKnight stared down at her mobile. The game was clearly on today, and she was it. She couldn't remember when they'd started playing, or even who had come up with the idea. But their group on Erase Book would regularly have a round. The game was a simple word puzzle of cultural connections, where the rest of the group would send one of their number clues to a word or phrase. Fairly early on, Janet had figured out that the first part of today's phrase was "danger" or "beware," but the second part was proving harder to crack, despite the flurry of emails in the late afternoon. Sometimes less was definitely more with the game, thought Janet as she sat on the 38 bus from Victoria, and tried to work out what all of the following could possibly have in common: Enid Blyton, Monty Python. Gary Gilmore, Christine Keeler, Queen Anne, Val Dunican, Van Gogh, and an album by Wire. As she stepped off the bus onto Shaftesbury Avenue, she received a text from Pablo. She wasn't sure if it was part of the game or not. Either way, as she was supposed to be meeting her fellow gamers and wedding guests fairly shortly, no doubt all would be revealed. Janet's glasses steamed up as soon as she entered the pub, but even when she'd cleared them, there was no sign of Owen and the others. Considering it was a Thursday evening and just after work, the place was fairly thinly populated, and Janet was served swiftly. She had considered, in honour of Owen, ordering a daft alcopop or an even sillier modern cocktail, but it didn't look like the sort of place that would know what a cheeky vimto was. Or even stock the wicked necessary to make it. On balance, she thought, as she settled at a table near the door with a nice view of both the alley and Rupert Street, that was probably a good thing. Two dapper elderly gents sat at the next table, and Janet was briefly diverted by their conversation. At first, it sounded tantalisingly foreign, but then quite English. Vard of the Omi Ajax. The trappering Omi, Nancy Her, the man pointed to someone in the alley, the one with the dolly eek and dark ria. Ah, Bona Lalu's replied the other. Janet fished out her book and wondered about the rather enigmatic text from Pablo that she had paused to read en route. Beware of Sudan, it had read. What was it? Perhaps it had nothing to do with the game, but was a mad crossword clue, or, or indeed answer, intended for Owen. Pablo and Owen had been collaborating on cryptic crosswords for years. Her own favourite was still Gags Nine Four, to which the answer was scrambled eggs. It had taken even Owen hours to get that one. Perhaps Pablo's text was code or an obscure terrorist warning. Janet glanced nervously about her and then laughed at her own stupidity. The blue posts on Rupert Street was the very last place one would expect anything bad to happen. Then another thought struck her: there were a lot of blue posts around Soho. Alice, who had organised the evening, had said that there were five of them. Perhaps she turned up at the wrong one. Janet fished in her bag for her phone and went onto Easebook to check the arrangements. No, there it was, just as she remembered it. Blue posts, Rupert Street at seven. On closer inspection, she suddenly noticed that some things on Easebook had changed. 
the cheery slogan, the only sight you'll ever need, was still in place. But a letter R had dropped into the title, so it now read, Erase Book. Also, she noticed that all of their friends, apart from herself, Owen, her husband of three months, and Alice, were all characterised on screen as sitting down, whatever that meant. Must be some upgrade. Neat use of pearls, she mused, as she thought of how useful Easebook had been for the wedding. All the arrangements posted there, the invites, the gift list, the photos afterwards. Even the pre- and post-wedding blogs had been beautifully and seamlessly handled online. Their whole life was on there. Almost without thinking, she clicked onto the wedding photo section. They were never as good on the mobile as larger screens, but they always made her smile especially the Scrabbleboard-style collage someone had done of her and Owen's years together before they married. This time, though, she frowned. Something was wrong. All the people who were supposed to be coming tonight, all the people who'd said yes, definitely, through the website, had disappeared from the photos. Again, except herself, Alice and Owen. And Owen was showing signs of fading. Maybe it was just the phone battery, she thought, or, or the reception. Owen and Alice had not been playing the game today. Maybe that's what the sitting-down designation meant for the others. But if they were seated, it certainly wasn't in this pub. It was unlike everyone to be late, and she wondered if there was a clue in today's phrase as to what was going on. As the terms were randomly generated by a programme Owen had created and uploaded to Easebook, however, that seemed unlikely. The same programme prevented any gamer accidentally sending the correct phrase to the person who was it. Finally, it hit her. Van Gogh had painted a yellow chair. Valdunican's trademark was a rocking chair. Queen Anne had a chair named after her. Christine Keeler sat astride one. Monty Python had a sketch about the terrors of a comfy one. Wire had an album called Chairs Missing. Enid Blyton wrote of a magic chair that flew people to other dimensions and Gary Gilmore had died in an electric one. She suddenly understood today's message. Beware of the chair. Her thoughts were interrupted by one of the men at the next table exclaiming, Part of the trolling chaise! She looked up and was shocked to see two hooded figures carrying a sedan chair down Rupert Street, even more so when she recognised Owen's face staring out from the carriage, his hands scrabbling at the window, blonde hair plastered down and eyes wide with fright. She dropped her scarf and phone on the table and rushed outside, only to see Owen rounding the corner. Without thinking, she leapt into a second sedan that had just arrived outside the pub. Follow that chair, she yelled, but faltered. She looked around her and realised too late that there was no way for her to get out. She was trapped. Through the windows she could see that outside was starting to look frighteningly misty and the streets towards Piccadilly began to fade. Back in the pub, one of the old men turned to Michael, the manager, who was standing by the table with Janet's scarf and mobile in his hand. Nanty Vada trolling chaise, since you were a feel, eh, Michael? Michael, who was considerably younger than both of them, ignored the insult and said simply, Nanty Polari, if you want more bevies in this bungery. 
He was about to add something when he noticed a woman with shortish brown hair standing at the doorway, and pointing at the scarf. Excuse me, but I think that's my friend's scarf. I'm Alice. Well, Alice, she just scampered out the door. Michael smiled and handed over the scarf with a mobile, and、uh, got into a passing sedan. He added helpfully. Alice stood where she was, looking at the last text message she'd received, the one that said, "Beware of Sudan." Bloody typical, that she thought. Something to do with that stupid game. Then she accidentally hit the button that showed the last web page she'd visited, on which she could see that Owen's and Janet's avatars were now designated as sitting down. Alice looked outside and saw there was another sedan waiting. Without another word, she ran out of the door towards it. One of the old men shook his head and said, "Typical Pallone. Didn't you look a bit like that Tamsin Greig?" Michael gave him a warning look as he cleared the table.